The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Well, thank you so much for your participation in the program this morning and really the value that you've added uh, in terms of sharing your own stories, your own experiences. Um, in terms of the e-hailing situation and and the violence that uh, is brewing there, or not even brewing, the violence that has been taking place and the tensions that, of course, continue to to simmer. It is a, a situation that I am incredibly worried about because the intimidation, the threats, the loss of lives, it's it's only going to continue. And we cannot allow ourselves to get to a point where loss of life just becomes part of our, you know, it's so normalized that it's just part of part of our day. You know, it's just like, oh, yes. And, you know, these individuals were killed execution style while sitting in their vehicles. And that's that. And we move on. You, it, it just it, it cannot be. And the situation really just requires it requires leadership and f- for all intents and purposes they there does not seem to be any clear leadership regardless of of which province you're looking at where these uh these 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 battles that are taking place are concerned so it's a story that we'll continue to watch and and i really urge all of you to keep us updated the story was sparked by one of our listeners in Kabeha, who wanted to raise it as something for us uh, to talk about in the open line. And it's now become so much bigger as more information becomes available. So do continue talking to us and letting us know of the different things that are taking place in your community. Well, for our health talk today, we are focusing on cervical cancer and really getting to understand what cervical cancer is. Last week, of course, we were focusing on the links between uh, circumcision and the spread of cervical cancer, but there were much more specific issues where cervical cancer is concerned that uh, many of our listeners raise. Remember, you are more than welcome to be part of the conversation. The number to use, 011-714-2006. Uh, that's the number to dial to get in touch with us today. On the WhatsApp line, it's 0614-104-107. And on Twitter, it's at SFM Radio. And the hashtag there is SFM Talking Point. So let me welcome then Dr. Trudy Smith, who is a gynecologist gynecological oncologist at the Vitz Donald Gordon Medical Center. Dr. Smith, good morning to you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to have this conversation. And like I said, you know, last week uh, we were talking about the importance of uh, circumcision and and how that helps in terms of preventing the spread of cervical cancer. And today we just want to be able to focus more specifically on what cervical cancer is, how it affects women's bodies, and just some of the details that that we were not able uh, to 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 get through last week. So, uh, you know, from the perspective of a doctor like yourselves, who like yourself, who deals with this on, you know, I'm assuming probably on on a daily basis, talk to us about cervical cancer in South Africa and its prevalence and and how it often presents. So I think the first thing we need to tell listeners is what is cervical cancer. Mm. So the cervix is the mouth of the womb. So it sits high in the vagina. 
It's that thing that opens up and lets the baby out. It um, keeps your um, womb closed, you know, the mouth of the womb. It is the mouth of the womb. And women are unique that we have a connection from the inside world of our bodies to the outside world. Men don't have that connection. So um, its purpose is to let the sperm in, uh, to fertilize the egg, and its other purpose is to hold the baby in the uterus and eventually dilate and let the baby come out when you go into labor. But in terms of um, how common it is, it is the commonest killer of women in South Africa. It's the commonest cancer that kills women in South Africa. So the the most common cancer is breast cancer, and the second commonest cancer is cervical cancer. But more women die of cervical cancer than women die of breast cancer. And, you know, nobody wants to really talk about it. As soon as you say the word vagina, Mm. everybody gets very excited. And we don't want to talk about it. It becomes a taboo because, you know, the vagina is that place we can have sex. So I think it's important that we start talking about it and having the conversation because cervical cancer can be prevented, 100% prevented. And yet we have the highest incidence. Mm, mm. And, you know, it's interesting that you're you're saying that the conversation around it is not where it needs to be. From 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 what you experience and from what patients tell you, why is, is it seen as, you know, taboo to be talking about it? Why is there a reluctance to, to actually, uh, you know, have the conversations? I think many people have this feeling that, um, that because, you know, cervical cancer is caused by a virus, human papillomavirus. And HPV um, gets into the vagina. The commonest way uh, it gets into the vagina is via the penis. But it can get in by skin-on-skin contact. And I think people, you know, as soon as you speak about vaginas and sex and viruses, everybody gets very edgy. Mm. But it you cannot avoid HPV. The only way you can ever avoid HPV in your vagina is if you, you never put anything there. I'm talking about anything, mm. nothing. And that's impossible. That's absolutely impossible. The bottom line is all of us probably will get HPV at some time in our vagina. But the vast majority of us, our own bodies, will be able to get rid of it. Uh, you know, it's not, it's like, Not everybody who is in contact with somebody, for instance, with flu, gets flu. Do you you hear what I'm saying? Yes, 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 yes. So it's the same as the vagina. Just because you might have HPV in your vagina, it does not necessarily mean that you're going to get cervical cancer. It's the persistence. It's the hanging around of the HPV that is important because then it hangs around. It gets into the cells. It causes changes in the cells that if you don't treat those changes, and we can easily treat those changes as well. We don't treat it with a medication or an antibiotic or anything. We have to treat it with removing those abnormal cells. Mm. But we can do that. 
And so there's only a few, thank God, who will get cancer of the cervix when they are exposed. Most of us will get exposed, but our own body will fight it. So the, the ways, you know, the things that stop you from fighting HPV are things like smoking. Smoking, smoking shocking. Smoking prevents your own immune cells from getting rid of HPV. So people shouldn't smoke, even vaping. You shouldn't vape, smoke, hubbly, any of those things. Mm. Because it's it's basically working against your body's natural immunity. Absolutely. It paralyzes special cells uh, called Langerhans cells. And those cells recognize abnormal HPV-infected cells and would destroy them. But but smoking kind of paralyzes them, so they're not able to go and recognize them and get rid of them. Mm. I want to talk about the reason why so many women die from cervical cancer. Is it because of, you know, late diagnosis or what is the key so, issue there? So the cervix also sits very close to the bladder in the front and the bowels at the back. And, and the pipe that takes the urine from the kidney down to the bladder. So when cervical cancer grows, it eats into the bladder and into the rectum, but it blocks that pipe that mm. brings your urine. And what happens is you go into kidney failure. But the problem is a lot of women, first of all, we can prevent getting HPV to start with into the cells by vaccinating. Mm. We can vaccinate against cervical cancer, and we must, number one. If there was a breast cancer vaccine, trust me, everybody would be lining up, wouldn't they? <laughs> mm. Eh? Mm. They would be mm. lining up. Mm. Why are we not lining up for our cervical cancer vaccine? No, because, again, it's in the vagina, you know? So, number one, we vaccinate young girls, uh, in the last year of their primary school, it's on what we call the the national vaccine program. Mm. Number one, number two. Doctor Smith, let me do this. Let mm. me do this. I'm going to give you a chance to to continue with that list. It's eleven thirty. Let me go to Luanda Maume with the latest headlines. The talking point with Kathy Mosasana weekdays nine a.m. till midday. We continue our health talk today. Dr. Trudy Smith is joining the conversation. She's a gynecological oncologist at the Witz Donald Gordon uh, Medical Center. And Dr. Smith, you were just taking us through the main reasons or the key reasons why, you know, women die from cervical cancer. So I think um, also the other important thing is many women will go um, to the doctor and say that they're bleeding mm. or they may not go to the doctor. They might delay it, um, say that they're bleeding or they have a discharge. And unfortunately, we are to blame as well because we did a study where we asked women who presented uh, whether you know they had seen a practitioner and most of them had seen up to five people before the diagnosis was made. Mm. I mean, that's crazy. So I think insistence that you get examined properly is also important. And, and, and what would constitute a proper 
exam because you know one just has thinking of themselves as a patient you of course are always in the doctor's hands you know so if you say Absolutely. these are my symptoms you're expecting that whatever advice you're getting is the best advice in line with you know the kind of uh, problem or issue that, that that you're having at the time so the important thing is that um, they, somebody looks in the vagina, actually looks at the cervix. And also, have they ever had a pap smear? Mm. A pap smear is when you take a scraping. Somebody looks in the vagina and they take a scraping from the cells from the mouth of the womb and they send that to the laboratory. So the, the new thing that we do is we actually take a scraping of those cells and we send them to the laboratory to look for the actual human papilloma virus. So if there is no human papilloma virus, then, you know, there is not going to be an abnormal smear. Then the bleeding will be from something else. Mm. So, so d- does that also mean, uh, Dr. Smith, that it's often hard to diagnose uh, cervical cancer based on symptoms Um, and and you know from your experience what are some of the more common symptoms that are associated with this cancer so once you have the cancer one of the commonest things are is abnormal bleeding so bleeding uh, that is outside of your period time so Mm -hmm. not at the regular period time or if you had stopped your periods and were a magogo now uh, menopausal, um, that you start bleeding again, which you must not do. You know, if you're an older woman and you start bleeding. And also if you start bleeding after sex, mm. then you need to be seen. People should not be bleeding after intercourse um, because that means that there is something on the cervix that when you're having intercourse that the bleeding uh, is happening. Just in and then an yeah. abnormal discharge. Yeah, just in relation to that, I've got I've got a message here, and and you as our listeners, of course, can be part of the conversation on on zero double one seven one four two double zero six. That's the phone line to use to get in touch with us today, and on the WhatsApp line, it's zero six one four. One zero four one zero seven. I'll take uh, your WhatsApp voice notes and messages on that number. But just on 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 the discharge, I've got a message here, uh, and and it's from anonymous, and she, you know she's talking about how her vagina releases a large amount of fluids um, after I'm done reaching the climax as I'm having sexual intercourse. What causes it? It makes me uncomfortable. Can the doctor please assist? So, I mean, one of the, is it not the seminal fluid? In other words, the sperm fluid that is coming out. It might be. But yes, it could be a problem that there's an inflammation or something going on with the cervix. Mm-hmm. So, for, you know, our anonymous listener, if it's making her uncomfortable, then she needs a checkup. So, I think it's important that even if you are not on a medical aid and you can't go to the GP or whatever, in the government sector, we have the the facility to do a pap smear um, three times in the lifetime of a woman, so when they're 30, 40, and 50. So, um, or to go and see a nurse practitioner at your local clinic. Mm. 
But yes, you know, it's the, the and it, it's particularly if it's offensive and it's smelly, then it needs to be checked. Let me go to Anonymous, who's calling us on the phone lines today. Anonymous, good morning. Morning, Kathy, and morning to the doctor. Mm. Hello. I would like to, hi. I would like to ask this interesting question. I would, my first question is, how likely is somebody who claimed to not have had sex her entire life to have this cancer? And I'm asking this because there's something that I observed about the nuns, that you find that they will get that the cervical cancer, and then on the particular kind of their lifestyle, we actually understand that they're not sexually active, and some of them will claim that they never had sex. So that is my question that I would like the doctor to... So, Doug, do you have to have sex, in other words, to get cervical cancer? And the answer to that is not entirely yes. So in other words, you don't have to have had sex in order to get this cancer. You can get this cancer without um, having sex, but you are more likely to get HPV the more sex you are having. Let's put it that way. So um, it's not impossible. It definitely is not impossible. Okay. All right, Anonymous, yeah. thanks for that call. Thanks. Uh, uh, sure. Dr. Smith, I, I just want you to, to go back to, to the issue of, um, you know, the symptoms and how it often presents itself because you were talking about how it affects other organs and oftentimes, you know, it will be a woman, the, the, I think the tube to the bladder that is blocked. And, and so what are the symptoms that women will be experiencing that you can't go to the loo or, or what will it be? So in those patients, then it is very advanced mm. and often um, the cancer eats into the bladder. So they are leaking urine all the time through their vagina. So they they don't wee properly. The, the urine is actually coming out of the vagina. And sometimes the stool can come out of the vagina. It's called a fistula, a hole between the bladder and the vagina and a hole between the rectum Mm. and the vagina. But that's very advanced. Those um, uh, patients, those women, would have advanced stage four um, cancer. What what kind of treatment is is available for patients? So the first thing is there is treatment of a pre-cancer. In other words, something that is not quite yet a cancer, And if you leave it, it will turn into a cancer. So those are precancerous abnormal cells that are on the cervix. And we treat that very simply um, as an outpatient in our rooms. We we have an outpatient uh, colposcopy unit. Basically, that means we look at the cervix with a big microscope because the pap smear picks up abnormal cells. And then where we see the abnormal cells, we literally scoop them out with a like a, a like a hot wire. You know when you when you want to serve ice cream, you put the spoon in the hot water, and then you scoop the ice cream out. We do the same to the cervix. We scoop out the abnormal cells, and um, we remove those HPV infected cells, 
And then we advise women to get vaccinated to try and prevent the HPV from coming back. So the, the one thing is to prevent it by treating abnormal cells. And then once you have the cancer, if it's very early, we would need to remove the womb with the mouth of the womb. We do a, quite a big operation. It's called a radical hysterectomy. And if it is more advanced, then radiation and chemotherapy. Mm. It's it, it, it's a difficult conversation, I know, for, for many women, just the thought of, of having their wombs uh, removed. How do you, as a, as a medical practitioner, help women actually, you know, go through that process? So, I mean, obviously, cancer is life-saving. So, you know, you have, um, uh, you know, cancer is, if you don't treat it, unfortunately, mm. you will die from it. So that's the conversation that you need to have. And have you had situations where women refuse to have their wombs removed? We have, but, you know, it takes counseling. It takes sitting down and talking. So we're talking mm -hmm. now to somebody who already has cancer. And, you know, the only, obviously, we can treat the cancer as well with radiation and chemo. But even when you give somebody radiation, they are not able to have children. Mm. Okay. All right, uh, Dr. Smith, thank you so much. We're going to continue the conversation. I want to go to Sponelo in KZN. Sponelo, good morning. Good morning, Kathy. Hello. Hey, you know, I wish I could just record the doctor, mm. the whole conversation from the beginning, and just replay it to every woman. Because we, we have a thing where, as guys, we are afraid of talking to women about their issues. And they take them so lightly that they don't understand it. And there's a lot of phobia and a lot of misconceptions about the things that they say. You know? And in the end, you find that a woman is facing things like cervical cancer and is told by other people that this is how it happened. Whereas they didn't even consult a doctor about it. Mm. So, 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 Sponelo, are you talking about in the context of, of relationships and you perhaps as somebody's partner, whatever the case might be, pick something up yeah, that you yeah. think, okay, this doesn't seem like it's right, but you don't know how to bring it up, how to have that conversation? Exactly. Like my partner, mm. I can't tell her to go and have a pap smear and have an HPV shot you know, an HPV vaccine shot. Mm. Because she's going to be like, so are you saying that you have HPV? And I'll be like, no, but the thing is, you know, just prevent that. Because I, I, we don't know what's, what's out there. Mm. You know, mm. we don't. I, I'm not sleeping with other people, but you need to protect yourself from any other thing. Because Pap smear finds out a lot of other things other than uh, cancerous things, mm. you know. But then if the woman herself doesn't believe that a pap smear is necessary until last minute, you know, until there's something wrong, they only go for those things only if there's something wrong. They don't just routinely go there. Mm. You know, I just wish this, this whole statement, this whole speech that she was giving 
could be recorded and replayed and replayed until women can get it into their minds how fragile their private parts are, you know. Spondelo, thank you so much for that call. And I think it's an important point, Dr. Smith. How, how does yeah. one have the, the conversation without necessarily offending or, or causing well, offense? Well, I, yeah. I think what we need to... We have to have a mother-daughter principle. First of all, we have to make it normal that you have a pap smear. It's mm. normal. Every woman should have a pap smear. You know, at least three in a lifetime... It's normal. You know, you go for a blood pressure check. You go for a mammogram for your boobs. You, a pap smear is normal. And HPV, I told you, is normal. It is managing persistent HPV. Just because you have HPV doesn't mean your partner's been sleeping around. We're all going to get HPV. If we're sexually active, all of us at one point in our life will probably get HPV, you know. So how do you prevent it? Obviously, we always should be promoting the use of condoms, always. That is, goes without saying from a, from a protection perspective all around. We should be using condoms, you know, um, if we're, we're in a relationship, number one. And number two, it is, it's not an a nasty thing. It's not a um, terrible thing that we have to hide from. Mm. We, pap smears are normal. We must all go for a pap smear. Doctor, Dr. Smith, I've got one person here who's asking about the age of getting the vaccine against uh, cervical cancer because you, you talked about the the school program to actually vaccinate yes. young girls before they leave primary school. But if you're an adult, um, at which point should you get the vaccine? Is it something that so, you need to ask your doctor for? Do they need to recommend it? How does it work? So if you're talking about a national vaccine program, and you want to get the bang for your buck, you want to get the most out of a vaccine program, is you would vaccinate young women before they acquire HPV. Because HPV, once you have it, it doesn't get rid of it. The vaccine does not get rid of any existing HPV. That's why we want to vaccinate young girls early before they even start becoming sexually active. So that way we prevent them from getting HPV into the cells because how vaccine works is it blocks little receptors that put the HPV into the cell. But once it's in the cell, the vaccine doesn't help. So what I'm saying is that bang for your buck, vaccinate your children. But for instance, um, if you know, you can still have the vaccine as an adult, but it's a pricey vaccine if you have it as an adult. Mm. Whereas as an adolescent, you know, to get it on the normal vaccine program, obviously, because it is a government issue vaccine uh, for adolescent girls, so before they become um, sexually active. And then many women will say, but, you know, if, for instance, you became sexually active very early, would I, can I still have the vaccine? Yes, you can still have the vaccine. So the, the, the best time is early.
you know, as they leave primary school. Mm, mm, as early as possible, hey. Yeah. Okay. I've got a question here uh, and it says, good day, my sister's child who is six years old has been experiencing discharge. Um, it's smelly and it looks like mucus. She's uh, sometimes complains that it's itch- itching. Uh, we took her to a GP and they said it's caused by stress. Um, and she's saying, you know, how can how can a child be stressed in and, and have a response in this way? I think she needs to seek a second opinion. Mm, mm. So um, children, there are many reasons why a six-year-old might have a discharge, but stress is not one of them. Are you free to share what some of those reasons might be, Dr. Smith? So um, young girls often don't wipe um, their, their private parts the correct way. So we should all teach young girls to wipe from the front to the back. Mm. So in other words, when we wipe with tissue paper, whatever, uh, we are not spreading from the bum to the vagina. Do you understand? You must go from the vagina to the bum. Um, That's number one. And number two, you can get things like a candidate called a thrush. Maybe when she heard stress, maybe it was thrush. Thrush is a candidiasis it's a fungal infection um it is a very common infection and that sometimes uh, requires just a cream Mm. the other thing we have to always be wary of obviously is sexual abuse yeah all right you know that's number one two and three you have to Mm. be careful Mm. you know is there something going on here that we need to worry about. And then in very little children, sometimes they put things in the vagina like peas and, you know, those kind of things. And Mm. then you have to be careful of those things, a foreign body in the vagina. Dr. Smith, thank you so much for that. Thank you for the opinion. And I hope that, um, yeah, the, the listener is going to uh, take that, that advice and, and actually apply it because there could be a mon- and, and, you know, multiple reasons why um, your sister's daughter is experiencing what she is. Erastus, you're calling us from Vidbank. Good morning. Hi, very good morning. How are you? It's been a while since we spoke. And <laughs> it has been. <laughs> it has been, but I'm mm. always listening. My, to my radio station. Oh, fantastic. Great to hear Always that. listening to you guys. Look, I don't know what to say. SFM, thank you. This is very informative and educational to all of us. What I'm hearing the doctor to be saying is we really need to discuss this thing, help each other, both men and women. And let us talk about this thing. What I've heard today, I'm going to discuss it with my daughters. I'm going to discuss it with my wife. Mm. Thank you very much. Great program, my radio station, number one. Oh, Erastus, thank you so much. Thank you so much. What a thank lovely you. call. Yeah, Dr. Smith, thank you for, for your engagement. It's been really educational. We've got a couple of voice notes uh, that have come through. So what I'll do is that I'll just play a voice note and then you can just uh, respond after, okay? Hi, Kathy and the doctor and the listeners. Uh, I just want to find out something, man, a quick one. I don't know how I'm going to explain it to you, but it's... It's not painful, but it's uncomfortable. You know, when I'm having sexual intercourse, I end up not wanting it at all. Uh, you know, uh, when he enters, it's like so uncomfortable. It's like it's touching somewhere. 
it's like i don't know how can i explain it it's like you take a finger and you put it in your armpit and you know that discomforts like something is yeah dr smith so one of the things, particularly in postmenopausal women, so in women who have stopped their periods and no longer have hormones, sometimes the vagina it gets thin and very dry. And so when they have sex, it can be very painful and burning. And that's very easily treated by using local estrogen in the vagina. That's called vaginal atrophy. And that can be a normal process. But also, if she's having pain, we need to think, is there an infection going on there? Is there something else going on there? So she definitely needs to see somebody, and they need to look in the vagina. Don't just give a tablet or a whatever. Somebody must look in the vagina. All right. Uh, We're going to play another voice note. Hello, SAFM. Can you please ask the doctor the... Uh, my wife just gave birth, gave birth two months ago, but now some of the stitches in the vagina have uh, have left in there. So it's three months back now, and he still feels some stitches inside, but he's been healed. It's just that he, he feels uh, a very hard skin inside which he suspect that those are the stitches because are hurting whenever he, he touch them so I just need a, to ask a doctor what can she do or what can we do to resolve that thank you very much so um, clearly when she delivered they cut and they did stitch so, most of those stitches would have dissolved by 21 days. If they haven't, they might be forming what's called a stitch granuloma. That's almost like a little infection, like a little sifty thing around the stitch. So they might need to go back to the clinic or the hospital where baby was born, and somebody might need to look and remove the stitch. It Mm. can be done. Okay. Um, There's a a message here from Anonymous Doctor. It says, I'm 59 years old and had two abnormal pup smears um, and, wait, where's that message? There we go. Uh, And had two abnormal pap smears. Oh, no, I've lost that message. Sorry, uh, Dr. Smith. Here we go. I found it again. Uh, I'm 59 years old and had two abnormal pup pup smears uh, and it's over a period of 20 years, I believe. I regularly visit my gynae and I'm healthy. Can I still go for the HPV vaccine? So, you know, in a 59-year-old, you can, but, you know, it's a very expensive vaccine. And provided the pap smear is normal now, I would say that they probably, from a cost-effective perspective, it may not be the right thing to do, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, You would need three vaccines, they're about 600 rand each. So provided the abnormal pap smear has been dealt with and it doesn't persist, I'm not sure that right now for this person the vaccine is a cost-effective um, management. I would say what is more important is they go for the, the pap smears on a regular basis. Mm. I've got another message here, and particularly on men, and it asks, uh, can men get the vaccine? Does it make sense for men to get the vaccine to prevent transferring it to their partners? 
Absolutely. You know, the thing is that, you know, we have another disease that's caused by men uh, and given to women, but women take, and that's pregnancy. Pregnancy is caused by men, given to women, but we take the contraception, don't we? So the same with HPV. You can definitely vaccinate men and um, vaccinate young boys. So, for instance, in Australia, they vaccinate both boys and girls, Mm. and they predict they will eradicate cervical cancer by the year 2025. Yeah. Are we anywhere near that? where we can distribute to young boys as well? You see, it's because of the cost of the vaccine. So we need Mm -hmm. to really vaccinate, you know, 80% of the girl, child, um, and then consider vaccinating boys. So, you know, we need to vaccinate girls first from from a financial perspective. Dr. Smith, it's been an absolute pleasure having this conversation with you. Thank you so much for the knowledge that you have shared uh, with us over the past hour. Dr. Trudy Smith is a gynecological oncologist at the Evitz Donald Gordon Medical Center. All right, it's also gone midday. It's time for me to hand you over to the update at noon with uh, Sakina Kamwendo. Sakina, good afternoon.